I'll read to you Psalm 139. Lord, you have examined me. You have known me. You know when I rest and when I'm active. You understand what I'm thinking when I'm distant from you. You scrutinize my life and my rest. You are familiar with all of my ways. Even before I have formed a word on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You encircle me from back to front, placing your hand upon me. Knowledge like this is too amazing for me. It's beyond my reach and I cannot fathom it. Where can I flee from your spirit? Or or where will I run from your presence? If I rise to heaven, there you are. If I lay down with the dead, there you are. If I take wings with the dawn and settle down on the western horizon, your hand will guide me there too, while your right hand keeps firm grip on me. If I say, darkness will surely conceal me, and the light around me will become night, even darkness isn't dark to you. Darkness and light are the same to you. It was you who formed my internal organs, fashioned me within my mother's womb. I praise you because you are fearful and wondrous. Your work is wonderful and I'm fully aware of it. My frame was not hidden from you while I was being crafted in a hidden place, knit together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes looked upon my embryo, and everything was recorded in your book. The days scheduled for my formation were inscribed, even though not one of them had yet come. How deep are your thoughts, God? How great is their number? Were I to count them, they would number more than the sand. When I awake, I will be with you. God, If only you would execute the wicked so that the men guilty of bloodshed would get away from me, who speak against you with evil motives, your enemies who are acting in vain. I hate those who hate you, Lord, do I not? I loathe those who rebel against you, do I not? With consummate hatred, I hate them. I consider them my enemies. Examine me, God. And know my mind. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any offensive tendency in me. And lead me in the eternal way. Psalm 139 both begins and ends with words meaning to examine, to know, and our way or our life. And this poetic device highlights the central theme, that the Lord knows me through and through, as well as whether I am on the right road. As theologian Alistair McGrath writes, Psalm 139 is a powerful declaration of the ability of the Lord to see everything within the human heart. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. Nothing and nobody can escape his presence. Because God is omnipotent, 
being able to do all things, it follows that he is omniscient, being able to know all things. God's knowledge is an exercise of his power to have true beliefs. And this knowledge isn't just a sort of dispassionate surveillance. The word nicely translated in verse 3 as scrutinize is from a Hebrew root meaning, meaning to measure. God's knowledge measures us against the objective standard of God's own unchanging character. For the psalmist, of course, assumes the biblical view of God as the one in whom power and goodness meet. As C.S. Lewis put it, the second element in religion is a consciousness not merely of a moral law, but of a moral law at once approved and disobeyed. And this consciousness is either an inexplicable illusion or else a revelation. In many forms of paganism, the worship of the gods and the ethical discussions of the philosophers have very little to do with each other. Non-moral religion and non-religious morality existed and still exist. Perhaps only a single people, as a people, took the new step with perfect decision. I mean, the Jews. And only those who take it are safe from the, the obscenities and barbarities of unmoralized worship. Or the cold, sad self-righteousness of sheer moralism. And this step may be madness, a madness congenital to man and oddly fortunate in its results, or it may be revelation. And if revelation, then it is most really and truly in Abraham that all peoples have been blessed. For it was the Jews who fully and unambiguously identified the, the awful presence haunting black mountaintops and thunderclouds with the righteous Lord who loveth righteousness. Even before I have formed a word on my tongue, God knows it completely. The God who loves righteousness, from Psalm 33, 5, knows all the hateful words that I nearly said, but bit back at the last. And while I might be congratulating myself on my self-control, God knows the attitude of my heart that meant I had to exercise my self-control. Is this comforting or frightening? Well, that depends on where and how you take your stand before God. It's interesting to note that the psalmist's talk of being hemmed in by God is expressed in language of, of siege and adversity. Nevertheless, this sense of oppression, a sense natural to the sinful creature in the face of righteous divinity, this sense of oppression is offset by the consideration of God's wisdom. I praise you because you are fearful, that is, to be reverenced 
and wondrous. Your work is wonderful. So having considered God's power and knowledge and wisdom, the psalmist is keen to nail his colours to the mast. I hate those who hate you, Lord, do I not? I loathe those who rebel against you, do I not? With consummate hatred, I hate them. I consider them my enemies. Well, in light of Jesus' teaching about loving one's enemy, this declaration of allegiance may appear to us to go a bit over the top. But at least the psalmist chooses to side with God against wicked men, and at least he doesn't seek to stand with God on the basis of some sort of self-generated righteousness. When the psalmist writes of God knitting together his internal organs or inward parts, he literally talks about my kidneys, which in Hebrew thought designated the seat of conscience, where one learns true wisdom. The psalmist recognises that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Psalm 111. Since he ends up inviting God to examine him, he ends up submitting his thoughts and motives to God's scrutiny and to the guidance of God's righteous wisdom as he asks God to reveal any offensive tendency, literally any way of hardship in him. So where do we take our stand? Do we take our stand against God on the grounds of our own power? Well, he has more. Do we take our stand with God on the grounds of our own goodness. Well, unlike our goodness, God's goodness is perfect. Or do we take our stand with God by standing within the body of Christ? C.S. Lewis again. There was a man born among the Jews who claimed to be the son of the something which is at once the awful hunter of nature and the giver of the moral law. The claim is so shocking that only two views of the man are possible. Either he was a raving lunatic of an unusually abominable type, or else he was and is precisely what he said. There is no middle way. If the records make the first hypothesis unacceptable, you must submit to the second. And if you do that, all else that is claimed by Christians become credible. That this man, having been killed, was yet alive. And that his death has affected a real change in our relations to the awful and righteous Lord. And a change in our favour. So knowing that God is absolutely committed to us in Christ means that when he points out our flaws, though it is hard, we can listen. The upholding love 
enables us to accept the unpleasant truth. And then the prospect of growth becomes unlimited. Amen.